Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Good morning. This is Attorney Vince Davis. This show is called Get Your Kids Back Now. The show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning. This is Vince Davis. We um, are coming off of a sort of a mid-year, mid-term election this past June or this past Tuesday. And I was paying particular attention to the voting for the Los Angeles County Superior Court judges. I know that there are two or three judges that were elected that I feel are going to be good for families. And if they are ever assigned to the juvenile dependency court system, uh, they will be good for parents and good for children. Before we take our first call, I want to talk about something. I've gotten a number of calls this week about this. And it's about parents, it's about relatives who live outside the county where, of where the juvenile court case is. So let's give an example. Let's say you have a juvenile court case in Sacramento County, and you're a relative that lives in Orange County. We actually have one of these cases in my office. There is something called Interstate Compact for the Placement of Children, ICPC. And there's also something called the Intrastate Compact, meaning where a child or a case is in Sacramento and the um, relative lives in Orange County, California. No matter where you live in the country, no matter where you live in the world, if you are a relative, or if you are a parent that wants to get the children to a relative, the law provides that that should be the case. Many times, many times people tell me, hey, the social worker told me since they live outside the county, the children can't be placed there. That is wrong. Either the social worker um, has told you something that he or she knows is not true, or they've made a mistake. Many times people tell me, Mr. Davis, the social worker said the children can't be placed with my mother in Arizona because she lives in Arizona. That is not true. There is something called the Interstate Compact for the Placement of Children. Many times people have told me, Mr. Davis, the social worker tells me that my children can't be placed in Colombia or Mexico because it's outside the country. That is false. There is an international component to the ICPC where social workers in other countries are trying to do work to go out and check the relative. Whenever you are looking for ICPC, intrastate, interstate, or international placement. Make sure that you ask the judge to order an expedited ICPC. Expedited ICPC takes 30 days from start to finish. 
regular ICCCs can take months. And sometimes social workers lose either intentionally or purposely, excuse me, or negligently, uh, the report from the reporting state. So, for example, I had a case not too long ago where I represented a mother here in Los Angeles County, and the family wanted the child placed with the, the maternal grandfather who lived in Colorado. It took months for that to happen, and there was no reason for it to take months for it to happen. Although I have no proof of it at this point in time, um, I think that the social worker in Colorado completed the home study on the grandfather's home within a few weeks. And for some reason, uh, the county here, the social worker here, um, held on to that report and did not place it into the court file for the judge to read. Now, I have no proof of that, but that's what I suspect happened talking to the, the worker in Colorado and talking to the attorney who represented the social worker here in Los Angeles County. So you have not only have to have expedited ICTC, but you have to make sure that you keep on top of the social workers here to make sure that the report, if it's positive, reaches the judge here in Los Angeles County or in your home county right away. I see we have a few calls listed uh, on the on the board here. I'm going to take a couple of calls, and then I'll get back and I'll talk some more about placement with relatives. The first call I'm going to take is area code 951, ending in 88. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? A little bit of both, and it's perfect that you're doing relative placement because I am the auntie to my nephew who I'm trying to get custody of. Okay, go ahead. Um, so <coughs> my, my brother had a daughter taken away in 2016, and after about 10 months of battling them to actually do the um, family RFA approval and look into our home. We were approved, and then we had been um, deliberating in court, and after a long trial, they decided that even though we were approved and we had been there and we'd been fighting for her since the day she was born, that she had now been in foster care for too long, and they were just going to leave her there. Um, and now in August, or sorry, April of um, this year, my nephew Silas, Sorry, no names. My nephew was taken. He's only four months old, um, and it's been two months, and since the day he was taken, we actually asked them to please consider us for placement, and both the child's mother and father have asked for relative placement the day that he was taken. They both asked that our home be evaluated again, since we're already an approved RFA home, and the CPS workers refused to do so, and they actually put him in the exact home that the entire family said that they were uncomfortable with him going to. And so we're wondering, because at this point, he's only had a detention hearing, and so he was detained officially um, only on April 6th, and then the dispositional hearing was continued until June um, 27th and 28th, and so at this point, 
we had to go through the RFA approval again, and we were reapproved. And our problem is that we're in Riverside County, and the case that's being for my nephew is in San Diego, and they're basically not wanting to move him across the county line, even though we are literally just like an hour and a half drive away from them. So I'm wondering what rights do the family have and do the parents have who still at this point only have a detention hearing, so they should basically have all their parental rights, if I'm not mistaken, and they're refusing to listen to anybody and move him out of the, the nephrom's home into relative placement. Okay. Do you have a pen and a piece of paper? I do. Okay. There are a couple things that I want to tell you, and then there's a couple things that you want to write down. First of okay. all, <clears throat> One of the reasons why this is happening, in my humble opinion, is money. Mm-hmm. You see, the money, for the, ch- the money for the child follows the child. All this federal money that's pumped into these juvenile court systems, these CPS systems all over the country, draw from about a $70 billion budget from the Department of Health and Human Services. If the child goes from San Diego to Riverside, guess who's going to end up getting the money for the child? Riverside, Riverside, because they're going to be doing the actual supervision of the child. All right? So social workers come up with a lot of reasons why they don't want to place the child with relatives. I would estimate that 75% 75% of those reasons are made up to get what they want, and, to, and they don't want to lose control of this child. So these are the things that you have to do. There is about five things, and I'm your page one through five, okay. and I'm going to give you that one at a time. I'm going to give you that one at a time. The first thing that you have to do is you have to file a motion, a de facto motion, or something called relative standing pursuant to In re Charles F. In re Charles space F. Period. You can Google that case. A lot of people, Charles a lot of attorneys, F. As in Frank. No, Charles S. As in Sam. Okay, thank you. A lot of attorneys will tell you that you can't file a de facto motion because you've never taken care of the child. That's simply not true. Charles S. tells us that you can file a de facto motion because you are a relative who is interested in the child. Now, not only are you a relative, but you are one of those relatives that have preference for placement. Did you tell me you were the aunt? Yes biological aunt. Okay. So there's a And small I also I see him every week. I facilitate all his visits. So I mean I technically do take care of him every week for a few hours. Okay. So you when I said take care of him in terms of the de facto sense, that's not really what I was talking about it. 
Generally, attorneys okay. will tell you you can't take you can't get de facto status because you have had to have taken care of the child during the court case, which is wrong, or prior to the court case, which is semi-correct. But if you're a blood relative, Charles S. says and Sam says that you can petition for standing in the case. Because right now the case is confidential. It's limited to the parties that are in the, in the case. It's those who work for the children and the parents. That's it. No relatives. So you have to petition for that standing. The okay. second thing that you should do is you should file a 388 motion. I did file it, and they mm-hmm. rejected it, saying he wasn't currently in jurisdiction because he wasn't yet a ward of the state. So do I okay. – is it possible to file that 388 – oh, sorry. I believe there is case law that says that you can file a 388 prior to the disposition hearing. If you can't, or if you've gotten a ruling that you can't file the 388, I suggest that you appeal it. But then in its place, file a motion to have the child placed with you pursuant to WIC Code Section 361.3. Now, I want to stop you for a second because you said something that um, kind of concerns me. You said that you filed a 388. Do you have any legal training? Um, your lawyer? No, but I did have a lawyer with my niece, and I, I paid several thousand dollars trying to fight for her, and I we didn't win. But So I used that same, all everything that I learned, and I'm very self-reliant, and I had actually filed my initial 388, and um, I study all of the welfare and institution codes myself, and I've read just about the entire thing front to back. Okay, let me make a suggestion to you. That lawyer that you hired for your niece, you go get him or her to help you with this. He because, won't do it. Because, see, filing the, paperwork, filing the paperwork is not the important part. It's only half the battle. The real battle comes when, if you're granted a hearing, you got to go in and do a mini trial and prove that the child should be placed with you. And I will suspect that you don't know anything about the code of evidence. You don't know anything about the code of civil procedure. And you're li- no, you ha- may have limited knowledge of what, of what the law is or may be in California in terms of relative placement. So you're at a big disadvantage trying to do this by yourself. But I don't want to get into that conversation right now. I want to tell you what you need to do because this is going to help you when you go talk to a lawyer. And it's also going to help people that are listening to the show. Okay? Okay. So after the de facto motion, you want to file a 388 petition to have the child placed and or a motion uh, pursuant to 361.3 of the Welfare and Institutions Code. You can Google that. And to request the judge to place the child with you. The next thing you want to do is you want to file a petition for disclosure because all the records are confidential. Remember, you're not even a party to this case. You want the court to disclose information to you. I once did a trial down in San Diego. Um, I didn't think it was a very fair trial. I represented relatives trying to get a child late in the case. And my petition for disclosure was denied, and the case started, the trial started before I could try to appeal that or writ that to the Court of Appeals. And what happened was uh, they were using evidence against me that I couldn't even see. 
you know, so how ridiculous is that? The next thing you should consider doing, which is very provocative, you will raise some eyebrows, is to file a petition for temporary and a petition for permanent legal guardianship of the child or the children. The next thing you should file is a JD-285 form, JD-285. You can Google it. It's a form. It's a... 285? 285. It's basically a, a, a document that notifies the judge that you want the trial. So theoretically, you know, and you want visitation, not necessarily what the social worker is giving you, but that you want the child. The most important thing that I want you to get out of this is that under the Welfare and Institutions Code, you are a relative with priorities. You have priority over nephrons, okay? And you have priority over the second cousin and the third cousin, you know, and Auntie Mary, who was married to Uncle Leo, you know, 10 years ago, but they got divorced 10 years ago. You have preference over all of those people. So if you have an approved RFA, the children are supposed to be placed with you, period, end of story. A lot of counties, like San Diego, like to ignore that rel relative preference statute. And basically, they're ignoring the law. Do they get, get, um, get away with it? All the time. Because nobody goes into court and says, hey, judge, I have preference over those nephrons. The law requires you to place them with me. And if you lose that argument, you have to appeal it. So, for example, on that 388 that you filed by yourself, you should file a notice of appeal. Talk to an attorney about that because you want the judge and you want the, the social worker to know you're not going to take this line down. If you're ruled against in court, you're going to appeal it to a higher court. There's nothing that you've told me that prevents you from getting these children. And okay. there's nothing that you've told me that leads me to believe that the child should not be placed with you. <clears throat> there are those that are going to argue that since the child was placed with the sibling, that's better than placing the child with you. And yeah, I don't so agree with that argument. So I don't agree with that argument philosophically. But in my humble opinion, that's not the law. Now, you should be filing everything that I told you with respect to, to the other child that you didn't get. You should um, speak to your attorney about that because I would not stop and let that leave that alone. I currently because don't have an attorney. <laughs> I, the <clears throat> one that I had hired you? before, he said he doesn't really, he didn't know much about this going into it and that he doesn't feel that he's, adequate in this area and to hire somebody else and that's kind of how I found you is searching being desperate for help okay well at least he was honest with you a lot of attorneys don't admit that to people it is a very specialized area and you should get an attorney to help you um, because in my humble opinion that's probably you know the strongest way that you're going to to win this case um, you know, I want to tell you something and tell the listeners something that uh, I explained to someone just yesterday. And it's something that I, I just realized where I could articulate it probably a few months ago. You know, there's a, a world of what, you know, there's your sense of justice. 
your personal sense of justice. And it's usually based upon your experiences, your beliefs, and what you're told. Now, the problem becomes what you are told depends on who tells you that. So, for example, you just told me that you're using what your previous attorney filed to get this new child. But then you told me that he doesn't know what he's doing in this area of law. So it's kind of like you may be using the wrong stuff to try to get this child. You know, I, I read an article not too long ago. That's guys for maybe almost a year. University of Chicago. It said 84% of what we believe, we as individuals, is incorrect. Can you believe that? 84%? So, wow. you know, your sense of justice may be skewed. Now, there's real justice based upon laws passed by the legislature, based upon appellate cases, based upon court rules. Now, there is some similarity between the two, your sense and what real justice is. But it's probably like about 5% similarity. So by definition, that means you're 95% wrong. But here's what happens with people, and it happens with a lot of my clients. Because they, one of the things they believe is true, is actually true in the law, but everything else that they think about about the law is also true. And that's not accurate. Just because 5% of what you believe is actually the law, that doesn't mean the other 95 is accurate. It's actually wrong, but you're operating as if it's right. And what happens with people, especially that represent themselves in court, when you go into court and you lose, and you're not really sure why you lose, but usually you come out and say, hey, it was the judge's fault. When in actuality, it was your fault, but you didn't even realize it was your fault because you don't know the rules of evidence. You don't know the rules of procedure. You don't know all the substantive law surrounding this particular area, like relative placement, which is a really niche, niche area in juvenile law. But you just feel that the judge was unfair. Well, in your world and in your sense of justice, yeah, it was unfair. But in, real, in the real world, where real laws apply, the judge did exactly what the law was, what he was supposed to do, you know, under the law. So that's why I say you have to get an attorney. You have to find somebody that can help you do this. Because if you don't, you're going to be spinning your wheels. And then when you lose, you're going to say everything's unfair. Okay? Yes. Just the financial burden okay. is what's killing us, but I completely agree. Right. And, and, you know, that's a whole other discussion about the financial burden. I I really understand that. Um, I'm getting hand signals from my my manager here. We've got a lot of calls. Is there any last question that you wanted me to ask? Yes. Um, If there is a law, like a specific law, that when the parents and relatives have a like all of their rights intact that they are allowed to move the child to where they say as long as it's a safe home is there any law like that that says those exact words no 
that I want to refer you to, and you can read this because you can Google it yourself, Welfare and Institutions Section 309 and 361.3. Those laws, in my opinion, basically say kids have to be placed with relatives, period, end of story, no further discussion. Now, that's my take. I'm just a lawyer. I don't wear a black robe and I don't sit on you know, in the court, but I've been doing, been a lawyer over 30 years, and that's my humble opinion. There's one other thing I wanted to tell you. You said that the disposition hearing has been continued. Yes. You have a right to participate in the disposition hearing by filing that, that de facto motion, okay? okay? And if you find an attorney, you need to talk to them about that, him or her. Okay, you need to be part of that disposition hearing because you need to present evidence and present witnesses as to why this child should be placed with you. Okay? Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for your call. If you have any further questions, <clears throat> you can go <clears throat> to one of my websites, uh, fightchildprotectiveservices.com or helpfightcps.com. There are, there's literature and there are videos there that might be able to assist you. Um, you can get my book on Amazon, uh, The Secret, How to Fight CPS and Win. Or you can give me a call later this week and I can go into further depth with you. My office telephone number is 888-888-6582. Again, thank you for the call and good luck to you next. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. I wish I could have spent more time on that call. Um, relative placement is an issue that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I was raised by my paternal grandparents, and uh, I, I, I hate to see kids being taken away from the family, from the parents, and then from the relatives. Um, the Supreme Court of the United States has said that this entire process, juvenile court process, is constitutional because we do have the safeguard of placing the children with relatives. And they've also said that the family is the fabric of our society. So respecting placement of children with family is something that we should always do. Okay, I am taking the next call. Area code Two six nine ending in five four. Yes, uh, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. How are you? Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Well, actually, I have both. Uh, I have a situation going on where my son has been adopted. Uh, this case that I went through, uh, it lasted for like four years. They didn't give them to a relative. I have Indian in my background. Nothing was presented. The social worker was a complete problem and a mess. He strategized everything. His tactics were vicious. I mean, I went through a lot of problems, and now I am trying to. Well, I, for the last couple of years, I've been trying to get a lawyer, and all I've been getting is basically doors shut. I found out that, uh, you know, taking on the judicial system is kind of 
big because you can get blacklisted and a lot can happen. So a lot of lawyers are afraid to handle this type of case. And I'm just trying to find direction right now that I could go in there and, you know, represent myself because this has been quite a very bad adventure for me. You know, me and my wife, we want our son back. Okay. There's a couple things that I want to mention to you. Number one, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the first call that I took today, the last call. Yes, um, I did. Yes. This not, so this is not something that, in my opinion, uh, you can do yourself. Yeah, you know, I got you, that, you when know, I heard you say that. You know, if the doctor tells you, sir, you need open-heart surgery, you're not going to say, hey, how do I do that? Because if you try to do it, it's going to end up in a very bad result. The same thing here. You're still operating, I think, on a sense of justice that you have, not what real justice is. So let me tell you this, first off. If you have Indian heritage, and if it wasn't brought up and discussed in the court case, that could, it could, not would, that could be a basis to have everything set aside and thrown out. All right? That's the first thing okay. that you have to talk to talk to an attorney about. The next thing that you should um, pay attention to is you need to find out if there was any fraud in your case. It's very difficult to set aside an adoption that has already happened. I'm sorry, I'm just assuming that. Was your child adopted or just your parental rights were uh, terminated? He's been adopted. Okay. So under the code, you can set aside an adoption. But as you might guess, it's very, very hard to do that. So you need to, need to show some actual fraud. And then you and your attorney can make the appropriate motion of trying to set that aside. The next thing I want to tell you is when you go to speak to an attorney, and I'm telling this to everyone and the entire audience, the best thing that you can do is when you go to visit him or her is that you have a story typed out about everything that happened and you have supporting documents. One of the things that happens when people come to talk to me, they tell me a story and, and you know, we have limited time, you know, free consultation is limited to maybe an hour and they don't have the information they need or to show me. I was talking to some people last night in my office, and I said, well, I need to see blah, blah, blah. And the guy looks at the wife and says, you know, I left that on the kitchen table. I didn't think we needed to bring that. Now they have to make an appointment to come back. And guess what? They live in Kern County. I'm in Arcadia, California. They had driven hours. And... Um, you know, it's very important. So uh, the man told me, he said, the husband told me, I'm going to, you know, drive up there tonight, but drive back home tonight, and tomorrow morning I'm coming back and dropping it off at the office. So get all those documents together. Get them in some type of chronological order that makes sense so that the attorney can look, can look at it. Sometimes, you know, what's important to you is not really what's important. And the attorney, the attorney will be able to tell that. Since you're trying to get a, something very, very unique done, set aside an adoption and the parental rights, you need to get, get you need to get all your paperwork together. 
you need to find an attorney that can do that type of work and go talk to her, to him or her. Okay? It's not something that yeah, you know, I can just tell you whether you're going to be successful or not. I will be honest with and tell you it's an uphill battle. It's very hard to do what you want to do. Yes, that is very evident. Excuse me? No, I was just listening to you. Oh, yes, it's very evident of that because uh, every lawyer that I speak with, they kind of basically say they don't handle this type of case. And now that I live, um, actually, this happened in the in the state of California. I'm originally from Michigan. I ended up moving back home because through all this, my mom passed. And that's actually who my son was supposed to go to. And through all this, that they were supposed to have sent someone out to uh, the uh, IPC, uh, you know, that goes and views the home. They never sent anyone out or anything like that and everything had turned into a big mess that made pretty much everybody in my family afraid to like get involved everyone was like is like basically was afraid you know to like deal with these people because the social worker that i work with he's he's threatened my uh my monitors uh he talked bad to, to all of us and he lied Purged himself in court. Uh, it was it was times that me and my wife we planned to have uh, birthday parties at Chunky e. Cheese. Was my son there? No, he wasn't. He put in the paperwork that he was there, and he wasn't there. You know that was a big problem. Uh, the the guy lied about uh, me calling on the phone, uh, threatening. The foster mom said I was going to kill her, uh, said I had alcohol in my system. I mean, there's a, it's a whole lot of perjury that's like, you know, that, that I've been hit with. It's like I'm, I'm trying to find out right now about that anti-slot law. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. Um, that's where yeah. you, if, you file, if you file a lawsuit against someone, they can file a slap motion against you and have it thrown out right at the beginning of the case. They win, you might be liable for their attorney's fees. But why are you trying to find out about that in this type of case? Well, I'm questioning the immunity of everything because I noticed that the social workers are very strategic. You know, I don't know anything, and this guy, he knows everything about it. So I am not in no position of a ball play with him. So he's maneuvering and his tactics are working for him real well. Why it just left me and my wife just in a corner somewhere like, you know, where nobody, you know, I mean, me and my wife, we own our own home. Uh, we've been good to our kids, you know, they took more than one, but only my son being the youngest, is the one that they kept, the one that we have together. Because I noticed that if the kids are kind of defiant, they'll send them back quicker. My son, he was only one, he was only that just turned one years of age, you know, sweet kid, you know. And when he got with, he, when he got with the right person, 
I couldn't. I wasn't allowed visitations. Uh, I went to, to court about it. Because at first, my visitations would be during the weekend. When he got with this certain lady, things changed. The judge even said, even in the court, change it back to the weekends. They didn't do it. So I even told my lawyer about it, and nothing still hadn't changed. I had a state-appointed lawyer. I mean, it was like I was getting walked all over, couldn't do nothing. And each time if I did say something about something, the social worker would punish me. He would punish me. It would be something what? that would come from nowhere. Let me ask you something. What county, what county was your case in? It was in Monterey Park. Lost, well, Do you still have a case to open there? Uh, the case was closed. The case was closed. Still have the you information. Have Do you I have, have excuse me? Do you have any of your children I don't have. in your home? No, none of them. Uh, one was emancipated, and the other two, one with their father, with their father. We only had one together. And our child, okay. you know, was the only one who was, you know, got adopted. Everyone else got it out because there was a problem with uh, with one of them. Uh, some, some things happened where he was at, and they hurried up, got him out of there, something with his father. And then they only just left my son in there. And the lady that, because... Each person, because he went through three people, three families, and when he got to a person who wanted to adopt him, that's when everything really changed. The lady said, I called in, threatening. I did call her because I'm I'm trying to find out what's going on, why she's not, you know, giving me a call back, what's, what's the problem with, with the visits, the judge said. And the only thing that they did was they just went back, told it to the judge and, and paperwork, left a paper trail that I, I called violent and this and that, like I was a bad, you know, a horrible person, like I was a monster or something. I just wanted to speak to my son. I couldn't see him. She wouldn't let me. You know, she changed the visit. The visits used to be on a weekend. She changed the visits on a weekday at 7 o'clock. My monitors weren't even able to you know, to do that, you know, the the traffic in L.A. and people, you know, with their own families, because I had to have a monitor. I was on, this is a strange thing, too. I was on, on monitor, but I, I had to have a monitor. I had to have a monitor to just say the mom wasn't there. I was on, on monitor, but I had to be monitored just to say the mother wasn't there. I mean, no, it was you crazy. Yes, I sure. Yes. I want you to write this telephone number down, and I want you to call me Monday or Tuesday of the week of the next week, and I'd like to talk to you more in detail about this. Sure. Triple eight, triple eight, six five eight two. Six. Triple eight, triple eight. Six, five. I'm going to say it one more time, okay? Sure. Triple eight, 
triple eight six five eight two. Six five eight two. Did you get that? Triple eight triple eight. Right. Yep. As a matter of fact, today at nine thirty. Yeah. As a matter of fact, since you're in Michigan, today at nine thirty, LA time, call my office, call that number, make an appointment to speak to me on Monday or Tuesday over the phone. Okay. Most definitely. All right. Thank you very much for calling. And I look forward to talking to you. Thanks for listening. Appreciate your show. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to take another call, area code 951, ending in 42. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Hello. David. Did you have a question? Hi, did you have a story to tell or a, a question to ask? A story to tell. All right, let's hear it. Um, I... You guys are my attorney, and uh, my children were taken away from me for um, over a year. And I am grateful to say that I get to wake up every morning with them, cuddling me in my bed now, and um, get to have movie nights. And I enjoy my children every single day because of you guys, and I'm beyond grateful. So. Uh, it was a process, um, but you guys know what you're doing. And I think the things that are most important that happened in my story was um, that you guys were there. You guys were not just attorneys with knowledge, but you became part of the family. Um, and you cared about everything that happened, not just the stuff that happened in court. And... I'm just beyond grateful. Tell our audience, thank you for those uh, comments, but tell our audience what happened in your case and what the social workers uh, did to you. Yeah, my children were taken um, by a family member uh, who made up lies about me. And the social workers, um, I had files of proof to dismiss the accusations against me and the file the uh um social workers made me first of all continue to have monitored visits for like seven months and then it made me drug tests when i've never been on drugs and and i never had a negative i mean a positive test um but i had a drug test for almost a year um they would continue to, they would talk to me, this is prior to you being my attorney, they would talk to me and then take what I would say and twist it into these these things that never came out of my mouth. Um, they would pretend to be my friend or be nice to me and say, you know, they were going to help me, they're on my side, they see that I'm telling the truth and then they would lie in court. They they lied during mediation, actually the whomever, the whole court system, and went into mediation, and I was told I was going to get my kids back within three weeks and that they were going to dismiss the accusations. And I remember coming into your office asking why this had not happened. This is also prior to having you as my attorney. And you said that 
they had lied in there and forged some form of document saying I was like giving up my parental rights um, to the to the court and and that's also when the drug test started happening um, and I and you guys came in and had to fight even harder to clean up all the mess that well according you know me I had made because of all the lies and everything. Sorry, I have a bit of a cool. But your story has a happy ending. We got your kids back to you. Very happy ending. And how is it uh, being a mother again? Well, the family meant, I love it. Um, My kids are sick right now, also with me, but um, I love it. I wouldn't treat it for the world. We have. You know, school, I have both kids that are in elementary school. And they both, um, you guys also got it approved to where I have a program called Wraparound. Um, You guys asked the judge for that, and that happened. And so I have these counselors and therapists that come into my home and work with my children to kind of debrief the past year of abuse. My children were abused in their home. That was the other part both of my kids were abused in the home that they were at and yet and I had proof with pictures and everything and yet the social worker refused to even look at any of the uh, documentation I had for that pictures videos anything because they didn't want to have to open up another investigation on it and have to remove the children that was another issue I had to fight with for over a year Well, I want to thank you for calling and sharing that story with us. Um, I'm very happy that your children are back home with you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. I actually remember this case. Um, When she came to us, uh, the case, the disposition hearing had already happened. And the disposition hearing is probably the most important hearing in the entire juvenile dependency process. A lot of people, a lot of parents, a lot of attorneys, I don't think realize that. And the reason why I say that is because at the disposition hearing, the social worker must prove by clear and convincing evidence that you are a substantial danger to the child, not danger. You're a substantial danger to the child, and there's a second part to it, and that there are no less restrictive alternatives. I won't talk about it in this show, but for a social worker to prove that, that's very, very difficult. And I meet so many people that come into my office that had that hearing and they just put, you know, made a plea deal. They gave up the right to have a trial and a contested disposition hearing. So the way most courts do it now is that they do the trial, what they call the adjudication or the jurist, the jurisdictional hearing, and the dispositional hearing together. And although I'm not of this opinion, the Supreme Court or the appellate courts in the state have said that's okay. 
the way I read the code is a little bit different than those things could be done separate. But by law, they're allowed to be done together. And what people don't understand is if they lose the jurisdictional hearing because it's a, proving a risk by a preponderance of evidence, that does not mean that they're going to win the dispositional hearing, which is prove a substantial danger and no less restrictive alternative by clear and convincing evidence. And I used to, I used to have a, a seminar that I used to do, and I would always tell people, do you remember the O.J. Simpson case? O.J. went to trial in the criminal court, and he won. He won because the burden of proof was beyond a reasonable doubt. That, that's hard to do, especially when there was no eyewitnesses. But then he went across the street, and he was sued by the family, the Goldman family, the Brown family, and he lost $45 million. Now you say to yourself, how does that happen? How do you win one case but lose the other? And the reason is because of the burden of proof. You see, the burden of proof in the civil case for O.J. Simpson was preponderance of evidence, which is you know anything more than 50%. Beyond a reasonable doubt, in my opinion, is anything that's 95% or more. So he won the criminal case, but he lost the civil case because of the burden of proof. Well, the same thing applies in juvenile dependency cases. You can have your jurisdictional hearing trial, and they have to prove a risk by preponderance of evidence. But in the same hearing, they do the dispositional hearing, they have to prove by clear and convincing evidence that you're a substantial danger. In my opinion, if, a lot, if most parents took that to trial, the social worker couldn't prove that. I mean, it's very hard to prove that somebody is a substantial danger, not just a danger, a substantial danger to a child by clear and convincing evidence, and there's no less restrictive alternative. So let me give you an example of what a less restrictive alternative is. Let's say that you're accused of domestic violence. It seems like every case that comes in front of me now has domestic violence component to it. So let's say that's the only thing that you're accused of. You and the wife had a fight, um, or you and the husband had a fight, and the police were called, social worker shows up, takes the child. Your attorney tells you to get into domestic violence counseling, and if you do, you know, you don't even have to finish it. At the time of the dispositional hearing, there could be many less restrictive alternatives other than placing the children out of your home. Now, the county happens to get more money if they place the child out of your home in foster care or relative care, but let's say that you have done some counseling, and let's say that you can have, you know, your mother, the grandmother, or the grandfather move in with you to help, quote-unquote, monitor the situation for the next few months. That's a less restrictive alternative. Here's another less restrictive, but, you know, that's not going to come up in front of the judge unless you actually have a trial. By the way, trials are not arguments by lawyers. Arguments by lawyers are not evidence. Trial means you have to put on witnesses and you have to present evidence. That's a trial. 
So if someone ever says to you, hey, we're going to have a trial by argument, that's misleading. There is no trial by argument because you're always going to lose that. I won't say always. 99% of the time you're going to lose because you don't have any evidence to put in. And the social worker has already put in their evidence, their reports. So there you are arguing without any evidence. Who do you think is going to win that case? The person with the evidence, social worker who has their report. But I digress. So you want to make sure that you explore less restrictive alternatives with your attorney. Most counties, I strike that, all counties have something called, and they call it something different in every county. I was just up in Ventura and we were talking about something. Uh, this particular service, Family Preservation Service, is what they call it, or call it in Los Angeles County. But they call it something different in Ventura. They call it wraparound services. Although LA County has something called wraparound services, it's different from what Ventura County calls wraparound services. Anyway, here's a lesson family preservation services where someone comes out to the home three or four days a week to give parenting or counseling to the parent or the child and to check to see if the child's all right. Well, that's a less restrictive alternative. Somebody can be checking on the child on a regular basis. Um, a less restrictive alternative could be, you know, the child's old enough to call on the phone if there's ever a problem with the parent. You know, we have a 15-year-old child. That child is old enough to speak for himself or herself, call the police, call the social worker to tell somebody at school that something is going wrong. So those are less restrictive alternatives. And sometimes I get the feeling, it's just my feeling, that counties don't like to offer those less restrictive alternatives. And, you know, I'm one of those conspiracy theorists. And so my thought is, they don't want you to know about it because, number one, they'd have to actually pay for it. And number two, they wouldn't get the top dollar from the federal government if they had to place the child back with you rather than leave the child in foster care. So there's kind of a double whammy on the money side, and you go to a, a jurisdictional dispositional hearing and your attorney tells you to plead no contest to the jurisdictional language, and nothing's ever said about the dispositional. Well, we're just going to leave the children in foster care for the next six months and do what the social worker says, and you'll get your children back. That's not true. As a matter of fact, very rarely is that true because a new social worker is going to be assigned to the case, and, you know, many times I meet people Well, Mr. Davis, I've done everything that the social worker asked me to do at the dispositional hearing. The new social worker says I can't get back to the children because the new social worker wants me to do something new and different or wants me to redo the parenting uh, class or wants me to redo the drug counseling class or wants me to do the domestic violence counseling. There's always something with with the new social worker. And I always wonder, why do they do that? Is it they really care about the children? My experiences are different. I'm sure some attorneys will tell you um, that they only have the best interest of the child in mind. I don't share that opinion, but 
you know, I'm just one attorney. All right, we have a few minutes left in the uh, on the show, and there are several calls left. I, I probably shouldn't take any more calls. One of the things I do want to talk about is continuing talking about that relative placement, which is interesting because I think two of the three or three of the four calls today were about relative placement. So everyone should write down Welfare and Institutions Code Section 309, <clears throat> pack it into the Google search bar, and read it. I think you're going to be amazed at what it says. And I think you're going to be further amazed at, and you probably have questions, why aren't they doing this in my court case? Why aren't they placing the child with the relative with priority? Well, because nobody's making them do it. That's why. They'll come up with many reasons, like the first caller, you know, is the aunt and she can't get the child and there's just been a detention here. The law is under Section 309, place the child with the aunt. She's been approved. She has to go to court. She has to make the motions. She has to, and if it's denied, she has to appeal it. She has to take a writ to force the county to do what they're supposed to do, to force them to do the right thing. I was talking earlier about section, excuse me, about the interstate compact for the placement of children, ICPC. There are there is an article within the ICPC, I believe it's Article 8, that talks about limitations of the ICPC. And there are limitations as to the application of ICPC. Whenever we place a child out of state, every social worker and almost every judge that I've met wants to use ICPC. But ICPC doesn't apply. You can have placement of a child, for example, with a, a parent in another state, another county, without doing ICPC. So I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to talk to people, uh, talk to an attorney who practices in this area. You can call, as my manager is telling you, you can call us. We give free consultations. So just call us at 888 Check out our um, website, help fight child protect child protective services.com. Fight child protective services.com. Um, it's also help fight cps.com. And I also have a third site, as my manager has just informed, reminded me, fcps.lawyer, I believe. Check out that website. All of the websites have information such as videos that can download documents and flowcharts. The biggest thing for you to do is become educated in this system. And you need this system. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week on the radio.